0: This is Kim Barkis with the HR Open Standards Consortium. I'd like to introduce to you our guest speaker, Paul Keel. Paul was an early contributor as our previous chief architect, and he's currently participating on our technical steering committee. Since Paul focuses on solving data management issues with cloud-based solutions, he's the perfect person to discuss HR Open challenges and benefits for migrating from XML to JSON. Welcome, Paul.
1: Thank you, Kim. appreciate it. and to be talking with you again.
0: Thanks for taking the time today. I think our audience would love to hear a little bit more about your background.
1: I started um, a long time ago dealing with content uh, from XML, from a content perspective, and then transitioned into more from a business perspective and an integration perspective. And so I kind of came at data standards from two different perspectives there. But yeah, I've been working with business integration for a long time. Um. First of the time with, with HRXML and later HR Open. And then was an independent consultant for a while where I dealt with uh, lots of different companies. And uh, currently I'm working mostly with uh, LexisNexis, uh, which is dealing with legal business and other types of content. And of course, lots of both XML and JSON. And-
0: I think that's one of the great unique things about you is that you have the experience to talk to business people And then you also have that geek speak. So you're able to transition between both of those communities and discuss what really needs to be solved. I think that's been something that's really benefited HRXML and HR Open. Can you give us a brief history of the standards and how they migrated over the past 20 years plus?
1: Yeah, sure. Standards, I've always said standards development is a people issue, not a technical issue. And so being able to effectively communicate I mean, that's what standards are about. Technology is the technology, so so it's definitely uh, getting people to agree. It's hard doing technology is, is much easier. From you know the history of the consortium, you know it started out as just uh, trying to solve a business problem. You companies have uh, integration points that are so um, varied and wide ranging that it was costing a lot of companies a lot of effort and time to and money, of course, to integrate. And so the consortium said, hey, let's develop a common interface point where we can share data. And so the business model was pretty easy uh, to define. It was just a matter of getting agreement and choosing what delivery method to use. And at that time, at the beginning, XML was emerging as what they used to call the lingua franca of uh, data integration. And so XML became... The standard it was a format anyone could read, and the tools were emergingly pretty good. And so uh, that developed as uh, the standard. And an XML schema came along, of course, and allowed us to deal with data quality where you could enforce good quality and standardization. And so it started from there. Then uh, that worked really well. And then along came uh, how you'd call the emergence of JSON. It started in a lot of contexts, but most famously in mobile applications. And there was sort of a paradigm shift of, we want things to be a little bit more freewheeling and open. And JSON, we can talk more about the extensions and stuff, but it's a lot more of a looser construct from an extension standpoint. And so there's sort of a philosoph- philosophical difference there, but uh, it became uh, another lingua franca, I guess you could say. And so you have folks that are, of course, in both XML and JSON doing different things and each have their niche. So now HR is doing both. They're doing XML schema, they're doing JSON schema and implementers can choose what they want. The data model, that's the most important thing.
0: That's true. We start with identifying the business case. What is the issues we're trying to solve? Then we focus on the structures of the data between the systems with the result being JSON or XML schema. We had several reasons we decided to add JSON. In 3.x, we were using the OHS platform as our base and had a lot of feedback that the complexity and the size made it difficult to implement. The new structures are more lightweight and easier to implement. The other reason had to do with the increased use of mobile devices in HR, especially in the recruiting space. Candidates search for jobs and recruiters check job posting statuses all on their phones. As we define the new standards, we're able to incorporate those new use cases since the industry is always changing. We didn't just take the XML standard that we had and convert them over to JSON. We actually started from scratch on the schemas and reused those use cases that were still applicable.
1: No, you're absolutely right. The XML and the JSON come from business cases. And I think what you're getting at, the, the distinctions between XML and JSON, tends to be a little bit of a cultural issue. Now, I brought this up at a coffee chat, and I think it's an an interesting one in that they each have their pluses and minuses, but the the culture of XML and the culture of JSON, they tended to come from a little bit different perspective. And I I know I might be uh, jumping ahead, but I think it's uh, relevant to what you're talking about here. The XML tends to come from the data modeling world where you have a really good data model, whether it's internal or as an external kind of API thing, that you have a a well-developed object-oriented data model. And that's sort of the the, tends to be the perspective that that was developed in. And the JSON comes more from, as you said, the mobile atmosphere and sort of uh, let's get it done quickly and let's break things along the way. And uh, let's let's make it fast and and so they they tend to view the object orientation as bloat and so uh, and in one sense it is and in another sense it is because you know data models are data models for a reason and then get into uh, you know UML versus uh, you know, other types of integration strategies but the JSON folks tend to be more. Hey, let's get it done quickly, and let's be able to do it on mobile, and let's be able to do it in, in a fast amount of time. So both can do data models in a reasonable way. They just tend to have a little bit of a cultural uh, background, and so it tends to be passionate as to who's got one, who likes one, and who likes the other. But uh, I, you know, of course, work with both, and I, you know, whatever tool works best. So I have no preference one over the other. I think each have their their advantages and disadvantages.
0: You mentioned the coffee chat that you hosted regarding XML to the XML versus JSON. That was actually a lot of fun finding out who's in the XML camp versus who's in the JSON camp. Based on the coffee chat discussion, the business case seemed to be the significant reason for selecting one over the other.
1: You talk about uh, different use cases and I think we got into a little bit of the, the development of the JSON and that it wasn't just a port of the XML to JSON. I think there was a bit of a discussion back then as when the decision to go to JSON was, is how how to develop it, which was, do you take the XML and create another out- export as JSON? Do you take the opportunity to remodel the data? And if so, how do you maintain two data models? So the question of two data models, one data model, how do you keep them in sync? Do you even keep them in sync? Are they something they need to be in sync? So a lot of those questions came up. And uh, I, of course, had my opinion. People had other opinions. And I think we wanted to have a one data model and multiple implementations kind of viewpoint. And so uh, the JSON took the opportunity, the JSON effort kind of flipped the switch where uh, the JSON became the single authority and the XML could be generated from that JSON. So the script was flipped a little bit there, and JSON became the authoritative data model, and the XML was generated from it. The XML schema was generated from the JSON and JSON schema. You know that's where it came, and that's where you know the issue of can we make it thinner, leaner, less number of nested levels, <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. as you could say, some people. Would call that bloat, that could make it leaner. And so as you can see now, the XML is less uh nested than it used to be, and it is a little bit more JSON-like in how it it is presented. I know we touched on that in a number of other, but that gives you an idea of how the JSON developed.
0: We discussed which might be the better option and decided to start with the JSON and auto-generate the XML from the JSON. I know you're familiar with some of those challenges that we had with that because obviously XML and JSON have different syntax. Would you like to share some of those issues that we had?
1: Yeah, and I'll I'll share a little bit more of my opinion on that. Right now, the authoritative source is the JSON schema. That's the data modeling that is used to uh, the single point of authority. And then you can create the XML schema from that. And that requires some processing because. XML schema and JSON are they do have their distinctions as any two technologies will. And so there is a way to JSON and XML, schemas aside, are fairly interchangeable. There's a few distinctions that are different between them, but you know, in a lot of ways, XML and JSON, it's six and one half dozen of the other. When it comes to schema, there are some significant differences and you have to manage those. So translation from JSON schema to XML schema, you need a a way to map that. And so how do you create types? How do you deal with the extension? How do you deal with data types, which are much more defined in great detail in XML schema? How do you do the the reuse of components? Because you want to create this modularly so that you're consistent across standards how do you manage that in the two different technologies? So there are some significant technical things that needed to be done to make sure that it would translate, okay? And those are still, you know, obviously get you know tweaked and updated as standards progress. But the, the translation, there's some uh, code that's been written inside the technical steering committee that uh, allows the creation of XML schema from the JSON schema. So you can at least have that guarantee that you're descending from a common data model.
0: Right. We tried to use the JSON as the base and then generate the XML, but we've had to do some manual coding because there are pieces that just don't translate well. One of those that comes to mind right now is choice in XML, which doesn't have a direct translation in JSON. How might some of the manual translations be resolved?
1: <laughs> well, it's interesting you've uh, asked me that right now. I'm in the midst of trying to, to do some of those uh, uniquenesses. And- any trans- in their defense, any translation of, of standards is going to require some uh, amount of. I don't know if you call it manual intervention, yeah. but yeah. some, some type of you know, rectifying the distinction between them. And I think partly it has to do with how the schema components are modularized in XML schema versus in JSON schema. There are a few uniquenesses there, and it would you know I'd have to show you code snippets to really get into. much detail but yes choice is certainly one of them and just the structure of the uh the files is a bit of another the referential aspect and the nature of how types are generated in xml schema there are a few uniquenesses there and so um for example in the in the daytime i think the xml because of the way the simple types were structured you had to have a, a wrapping element around the time period, if, if memory serves. And so it was a very rare opportunity where you actually needed to insert an XML element that's not in JSON. But by and large, you know, it does work really well. I think the the two standards, in the in the beginning, I was saying, in my opinion, we should start with the XML schema because that's the richer, that you can do more in XML schema than in JSON schema. And I thought that should be the lingua franca of what we're trying to do. But in the end, the JSON camp won out. And so it has worked pretty well, I got to say. And so the JSON schema translates, I can pick a number, but it translates really well into XML schema given the mapping algorithm that the technical steering committee has worked through.
0: Yeah, it was a bit of a challenge when we were trying to decide which way to go. We actually just said, look, we're doing JSON. The question was, are we also going to continue with XML? I think that was where we decided JSON is going to be the base. Something you mentioned before was the extension mechanisms we used in XML versus the JSON now.
1: Yeah, the extension mechanism, that's one of the big distinctions between the two technologies, and it really reflects the philosophy behind them. In XML and XML schema, it has a sort of don't give me anything, I haven't already defined attitude about it. And so there's sort of a requirement you got to define. I mean, there are some, uh, you can use XSD, any and some other ways to kind of put in a lot of other things, but that's an explicit hook. By and large, you have to have everything defined ahead of time and you only extend in certain very specific places. And even then, you can even govern in your extension that you have to have definitions. You can't just freewheel it. And so that tends to be how it's defined. Now, JSON, by its very nature, it's extensible. So it comes from the philosophy of, well, I'll just ignore anything I get that I don't understand. And so you can give me almost well-formed in the equivalent XML language, give me that in JSON. And if I don't understand these extensions, I'll just ignore them. And so that that's philosophically a big distinction between the two one is closed by default and one is open by default and each have their advantages because extension was always we talked about this also in the coffee chat that extension was always a, a balancing act because half of the world said if you allow extensions in your standard then your standard becomes swiss cheese so you shouldn't do it you should incorporate changes into the standard and the other camp said you can never have Schema that covers every use case because they just are so unique in in edge cases and and certain custom cases you have to have a way to extend because there is no one hundred percent solution you can only get ninety some percent solution so you want to allow extension so those two sides are both correct and so being able to reflect that in the technology either you create extension points in the XML or in JSON you govern what you can and then allow whatever else gets thrown in there to be ignored and take that risk that you get something that important that you don't understand. So two different philosophies that reflect why. That's why I don't view this as an XML or JSON, that they both have their advantage. This is one of those differentiators because you you may want to be much more secure. I don't want anything filtering in that I don't understand. Or you might want to be, hey, let's do it quick. Let's do it fast. Let's do it mobile. And whatever I don't get, I'll just ignore it.
0: That's true. One of the ways we extend the XML was through user areas. Every major component, like the person profile, would have a user area to allow you to add any of your proprietary info or data that the standard just didn't include. In JSON, we're handling those extensions a bit differently. You mentioned that in JSON you can put anything you want in there, but that it's not going to conform to the standards. So the technical steering committee came up with some recommendations for how to handle those extensions. One of them was a wrapper that includes the HR open schema and your own unique information that you'd need for your transactions.
1: The extension mechanisms, XML is restricted by default, so you have to add in points to extend. And the JSON is restrict is open by nature, so you have to put in a, as much structure as you can to try and make it. You don't want the standard to be Swiss cheese, but you also don't want it to be overly not extensible at all, because you know you need that extra one field, the extra two or three fields that get you at data integration. So yes, that is that's a balancing act, and, and that's <laughs> that's <laughs> an argument that never fully gets resolved because it's always something to be reexamined.
0: I recall quite a few years ago, we had people asking why we use sequence in XML. Why did we require the order of properties within the schema? Because their instances would fail um, since their properties were out of order. But JSON doesn't require properties in a specific order.
1: Yeah, order, that's another thing between the two. And and really you can do unordered in XML schema, but it tends, you know, in the early days, There was, uh, and I had done some research on this. I did sort of a research paper early on and that I put on XML.com back when that publishing portal that uh, did some uh, examination and research on what is supported in tools and what is supported in standards. And in the early days, the sort of XSD all approach where you don't have to have ordering was not very well supported in tools and it was not very well supported in data standards and so the recommendations were stick to what's uh, most implementable to make it easier for implementers and uh, there was also an argument of make the data as predictable as possible and so i want to be able to predict where something shows up and that's an advantage not a disadvantage but and uh, as you said comes with a price and so you know json gives you a little different approach there so
0: You just brought up tools, so I'm going to ask a little bit more about that. I know XML has been around for a long time, and there are a lot of different validation tools. XML Spy comes to mind for XML, but what about JSON? Can you share some of the tools you're familiar with um, for JSON and XML, and if any of them stand out?
1: Well, I think the tools are generally pretty good. So I wouldn't say, yeah, XML is a long history, and I think there's probably more of them. But JSON has some really good tools involved with it and certainly has uh, always growing even though the JSON standard itself, uh, JSON schema standard has not been out for a tremendously long period of time. So it has come on quite a bit. So I think the tooling is generally good. One thing I would say is a bit of a distinction from a tooling perspective is dealing with programmatic access. In XML, you've got the standard of XPath, which is uh, very well worn and very well supported in tools. And you do have an equivalent in JSON with the dot notation, and it's pretty good. One of the things we deal with this has to do a little bit with fielded data versus ordered content data. You know, in fielded data, then dot notation and simple XPath, both tools, you know, both technologies will have tools that support that just fine. Uh, being in the content world, certainly now with. With LexisNexis, we have data content and it is inherently ordered by nature. And so you can't use quite, you have dot notation, but when you're dealing with JSON arrays, the accessors are a little different. And so you don't have the full XPath functionality that you might like. Uh, At least it's a, you know, you can still do it, but it's a little more cumbersome. Uh, So I think there is a bit of a distinction there in terms of programmatic accessors for really nested and complex data. But for you know, so, you know relatively flat fielded data, I think both have really good tools and you shouldn't have too many problems. I think the uh, the nature of the standards uh, are kind of uh, reflect this. Like uh, XML schema is extremely complicated. So getting tools to support 100% of that standard has always been a challenge because it's so There's so many edge features that you can have. With JSON schema, the the feature functionality is not as edge case based. And so you can develop tools much faster. That's why I think the tooling has certainly come a long way. And I think you'll find good tools from that with with the caveats that I I mentioned before.
0: One of the things brought up at the Coffee Chat was the API tools. And then you had also mentioned previously Swagger. Does that come in with uh, with that?
1: Yeah, the well, that's come on as a a huge use case because now APIs are becoming, you know, a REST-based web services is is huge, and developing APIs is a really important part of many integrations. Now, of course, not all there's. uh, You get a whole range, but APIs as they are now certainly didn't exist in the early days of the XML. You had SOAP, and we did. If you recall, Ken, we did have uh, work with a lot of SOAP standards folks. We dealt with the WSI consortium and some others, and we developed SOAP profile, which at that time was how the early web services were were doing it. And so that XML-based integration as a a type of API was something that could be done, uh, but it had its pluses and minuses now. It's pretty clear that REST APIs are superior to that, and so you don't see very much soap anymore. Although some some support both, but the APIs uh, and Swagger is is a huge one. Allow you to develop an endpoint based approach of integration very quickly, and the tools are so good. So Swagger is a great example that you can develop it, and certainly in AWS, um, you know what I'm. Uh, Working with in uh, AWS, you have good support for, of course, API Gateway is the AWS version, but I think they all have something similar. And so the, the ability to create JSON-based APIs is just an awesome way to get things done faster. And I think even API Gateway allows you to soak, uh, even though it's uh, you know, probably not used very much. Tools have become much, much better to create it's like taking it to the next level. We're not just saying, here's the data, but now we're saying, here's the interface and here's how you communicate with us. And so it's to me, it's a maturity thing. You're getting a little more down the road of making the full connection between businesses or two entities.
0: So I have one last question I wanted to ask, or if there's other topics you want to bring up, please do. Anything else?
1: One thing you were asking before about the uh, maturity level of the standards. And I think there's a real interesting, just from a historical perspective, there was always a saying HR came out that, you know, the 1.1 of any standard is the first version that's even worth looking at. The 2.0 is really the first version that's worth implementing. And that's because, you know, the the 1.0 is a straw man, the 1.1 you say, okay, we've learned some lessons. and We've got something. And then the 2.0 is like, okay, now we're doing what we should have done in the first version. We've learned our lessons. And so it's the first one that's really implementable. Well, the the two versions have come since then, I think, are uh, another step in that learning process. The 3.x was the first where HRXML really hit its stride, and it became widely implemented, widely supported internationally you know not just you know one particular area and it became a really strong standard and so that's a, another level of maturity and then with the 4.x you've got jason coming on this, the scene and so i think it reflects the development and maturity each version has had its major you know sort of a threshold that it's trying to cross and so i think you know, what's happening now with the 4.x is very interesting very forward-looking and as you said at the very beginning also streamlining, you know, maybe, you know, in the past, there was a lot of talk of an Uber schema, you know, one schema to rule them all so that we could have uh, integration between, you know, HR and all these other data standards. And that we certainly pursued some of those. And now it's sort of like, let's keep things simpler and easier and be able to move faster. And so there's a real directional shift toward that. And so um, I think the versions really speak to where things are headed and where things uh, have gone in the past.
0: Yeah, we've definitely learned a lot over the last 20 plus years and continue to improve the standards. As the industry changes, we update them to meet those needs. Do you have any final recommendations for an implementer that's considering integration?
1: Uh, well, it's <laughs> each use case is different. So I would say it depends on who, who you're trading data with. If you are in a green field starting from scratch, then you've got a lot of options. And certainly, there, I'd probably go for recommending a JSON option using data standards where possible to get you a data model and then also be able to generate your code from it. You can get a lot of stub code from these uh, standards, including HR Open, not just HR Open. Uh, If you've got uh, legacy systems that are dealing with uh, lots of integrations, a lot of folks are still doing XML. XML isn't going away, so I think that if you think in terms of, like, I was dealing with one, and they were trying to say, "Is it XML or is it JSON?" And I was trying to say, "Look, can you predict whether all your business partners use all one or all the other?" And you don't have control over that. Other businesses have their own choices. So, so I said, "Look, model once, use many," and, and that's the philosophy I had, you know, from the beginning. So. However you model it internal to your company, you can expose JSON, you can expose XML. And doing them both is not entirely duplicative. Where You, you, know, you can get both for uh, less than the price of two, so it's not really right. something that you can't do. And a lot, of, a lot of companies do
0: it. We have regularly seen companies that have multiple versions of the standards. So they may have 3.x for some of their older implementations and 4.x implemented with maybe some of their newer clients. Or maybe they just use 3.x XML for some business implementations and 4.x JSON for, for other implementations.
1: Yeah, and as you were saying just before we get started, it's the business case. Uh, if, if you've got a great XML integration that's working fine, why would you change that? There's no business reason. The technology is just the technology. There's always a business driver for these and why you would change or why you would implement something to begin with. So. So stick to your business drivers and don't let the technology drive you, let the technology serve you would be my overarching advice.
0: And this is where we came in at the beginning. You have both that business and technical experience, which is a great blend. It's very rare.
1: Yeah, HR Open has been a great consortium that I'm glad consortium has gotten to where it is and it's been great seeing it when it was in its infancy and now, of course, as a very mature standard. So it's been terrific. And uh, I've seen various people that have worked with the consortium. so it's been nothing but uh, great to see the standards develop and supported by so many. So this is great. And, and Kim, you've been there from the beginning. So you've, you've certainly led the uh, group go into the 21st century. And so I only really hope the consortium goes further and further. We all weather the COVID pandemic and, and we come out the other end just fine.
0: Paul, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a fun trip down memory lane, remembering a lot of those things we've worked on over the past 20 years. We hope our audience enjoyed their time with us today. There are more resources available on our website, and you can follow us at social media at HR Open Standards.